Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast. Relevant and engaging content designed to help you dominate the day. Welcome back to Behind the Knife. Today is part of our financial series. We are covering disability insurance, and we are lucky enough to have an expert with us today. Larry Keller is an insurance agent and certified financial planner from New York who has been in the business for over 30 years and specializes in own occupation disability and term life insurance for physicians. Larry, welcome to Behind the Knife. Our listeners are surgeons, and most have a hard time imagining needing disability insurance. Can you give an anecdote or two of physicians who have benefited from their disability insurance? Yeah, absolutely. And I and I, I would say most people, you know, surgeons or otherwise, you know, really find it hard to believe that something is going to prevent them from working. But it could be something that is, you know, very basic. Remember, especially as surgeons, you guys are delicate. Not only do you have physical skills that allow you to do your job, but you've got you know, really high mental skills. And really, if everything is not working together, you might find that for a regular person, you know, becoming disabled is really almost unfathomable. But for a surgeon, it really doesn't take all that much. So I've had claims anywhere from uh, musculoskeletal to neurological to accidents. And believe it or not, even in the areas of, you know, mental or nervous conditions that prevent someone. And in the era of COVID, you know, go talk to people that were practicing in pulmonary and critical care. And these people are just not the same people that they were prior to the pandemic. Great. Yeah. It's not something, something we definitely don't like to think about, but certainly, um, uh, you know, we're all vulnerable and, uh, you know, some of us are more delicate than others, like, you know, like Kevin, but let's start with the basics. So, you know, what is disability insurance? How long does it last? And how, like, really, how disabled do you have to be to qualify for it? Well, disability insurance really at its very heart is nothing more than income protection. And really what it says is if you are too sick or hurt to work, we are now going to replace a portion of your income so you can maintain your expenses. Ideally, you can continue to save for retirement. And you can maintain the lifestyle that you've become accustomed to. Okay. So, Larry, talking about disability, let's talk about some more of the basics. As you, as your profile says, you specialize in own occupation disability insurance. Can you discuss what this means exactly and why this is important? Sure. So, if you think about it, you know, disability insurance is really just a legal contract with an insurance company, and the rules of the game are laid out in that contract. And it's really going to tell you when you're going to be able to file for benefits, how much money you're going to potentially receive in benefits, and the definitions that are going to need to be met in order for you to collect. So the most liberal definition of disability, especially for a surgeon, is what's known as own occupation. And the way that this reads from a legal standpoint says, we will deem you to be totally disabled if you're unable to perform the material and substantial duties of your occupation. So the first thing we look at and say, well, what is a material and substantial duty? And these are the things that you do day in and day out that cannot be reasonably omitted from your occupation and still allow you to practice. 
So let's say you're an orthopedic surgeon. Well, we know there's really no orthopedic surgeons that spend 100% of their time in the operating room. We know they have to see patients in clinic, uh, interpret data, read x-rays, promote referrals to other healthcare professionals, and they perform orthopedic surgery. So a question that comes up a lot is, well, if I'm disabled and I can no longer perform my surgical duties, how am I going to get paid? And if we see that your office-based duties are really incidental to the fact that you're a surgeon, and you are really seeing patients in clinic to determine whether surgery was indicated, if it was, you would discuss the pros and the cons with the patient. You would convince them that you were the person that had the Midas touch, and you should be the surgeon that's going to take care of them. Then you would perform the surgery, and then you would do the post-op follow-up. So if the bulk of what you were doing was really surgery, and your office duties were incidental or second to the fact that you were a surgeon, you should be deemed totally disabled. Now, one company, uh, Berkshire Life, which is a guardian company, they introduced something a few years ago that's called the Enhanced Medical Specialty Definition. And let's just say you didn't meet the definition of total disability. Maybe you're a urologist and you say, well, look, I've got a portion of my practice that's straight up clinical. And then I've got another portion of my practice that's surgical. And it happens to be that more of my income comes from surgery and less of it comes from clinic. Well, I'm really in a hybrid occupation. Ideally, I'd like to be deemed totally disabled if I can't perform the surgery, even if I can continue to do my clinical duties. So what they added is they say, if we can't deem you totally disabled based on the definition that I just outlined, we're going to take a step back and we're going to say, did more than 50% of your income come as a result of invasive or surgical procedures? And if it did, we can deem you to be totally disabled. In many cases, you could stay in the same practice, no longer performing the surgery, continuing to do your clinical duties and still receive your full disability insurance benefit, even if you have no loss of income. Oh, wow. So from a very simple perspective, the own occupation allows me to practice medicine in other ways that is not being a vascular orthopedic surgeon um, and, and earn an income, whether it's teaching or some other sort of different job within medicine is still allowable. Yes. And it doesn't even have to be within medicine. You know, if you decided that you wanted to drive around Texas in a good humor truck when it was hot, do as well as you want. Financially, it's not going to impact your benefit in any way, shape or form. Great. So what I've heard is that timing is very important when it comes to disability insurance. So can you talk to us about, you know, when is the best time to buy it? You know, when can we qualify for the steepest discounts on disability insurance? And is there any you know benefit to shopping around to different agents? Can one agent provide us with a better pricing compared to another if we were uh, interested in in you know getting disability insurance for ourselves? Well, you'll laugh when I tell you this. The best time to buy it is when you don't need it, because once yeah. you realize that you need it, it's probably too late. Now. The odds of getting 
a discount on at least one of the insurance company's policies is 100%. You're always going to be able to get a discount in at least one of them. The odds of getting the richest discounts or the most discount availability is absolutely going to be when you're a resident or a fellow. So all of the insurance companies want to get young surgeons into the fold early, provide them with a benefit that's larger than what they would normally qualify for taking their income or even their group insurance plan that's provided by their employer into consideration and allow them to make increases to this in the future, regardless of their health, as their income rises. When it comes to pricing, believe it or not, the insurance industry is heavily regulated. It's really like banking. And the price is really set. And the only way that one agent can really beat out another agent is to know of or have access to a discount that another one does not know about. So if you see that a discount has been applied and the policies are structured exactly the same, the premium rates should be the same. That being said, there are some exclusive discounts out there with mass mutual that only a specific mass mutual agent might have access to. There are plans, we'll talk about this a little bit, that are called guaranteed standard issue plans that are also only available to select, I'll call them the endorsed agents. So if you're in a situation like that, you'll really have to look for that person. It could never hurt to talk to different people. That way you're getting an idea of, well, what kind of experience do you have? How long have you been in the industry? How many physicians do you deal with? How many physicians do you deal with in my specialty? But as a whole, you really want to find someone that you click with that you believe is going to be working in your best interest. They can explain policy provisions to you and you can make the best decision after reviewing multiple companies' offerings based on your individual needs, goals, budget, and philosophy. Interesting. I had no idea it was that uh, that regulated. That's uh, that's fascinating. Now, kind of a random question. You, you mentioned you know residents and fellows. How do how are like medical students treated? Is there any benefit to getting a policy while you're a medical student? Yeah. So medical students are kind of interesting. Typically, we will not insure someone until they're either an MS three or an MS four. If they have not matched, which would probably be the bulk of them. We're going to make the assumption that they're going into the you know, most hazardous specialties or the ones with the least favorable claims experience. So we'll put them in the category of, say, an emergency medicine physician or an anesthesiologist. If they buy their policy prior to matching and they subsequently match into a more favorable medical specialty, which has better pricing or a more favorable occupational classification, which is just an aspect of pricing in a policy, they can apply to upgrade their occupation class and lower their pricing. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So, I, I have a question uh, just because you brought it up. And so how does surgery fit into those occupational classifications? Uh, usually if you look at, let's say the top category might be a five surgery is typically going to be a three. So you'll have certain medical specialties that perform surgery are going to be considered more favorable than others. So a vascular surgeon with some companies is considered more favorable than a general surgeon. Uh, a neurosurgeon is considered more favorable 
than a general surgeon with some companies. Same thing might even be true with cardiothoracic surgery. So different companies may assign a different occupational classification to the same specialty. So for that reason, you really want to work with someone that is experienced and knows where to go, or you're going to be looking at multiple offerings from multiple companies, not only in terms of pricing, but in terms of the contractual provisions. Now, you mentioned the best time to buy it, obviously, is when you don't need it. That makes you know intuitive sense. But l- let's say you're not healthy. You know, you have a what if you have a pre-existing condition? You have diabetes, or even um, you know you struggle with uh, mental health, anxiety, depression, um, ADD, ADHD. How do these affect things? Yeah. So if you've got a condition, you know, like diabetes, or let's say juvenile diabetes, you're taking insulin. The traditional carriers generally are not going to offer coverage. At that point, if you have something that's chronic, you really want to look for what's known as a guaranteed standard issue plan or a GSI plan. Like we think you guys are good with uh, acronyms in the military. We're not that far behind. (laughs) And a GSI plan is the same disability insurance plan that you would traditionally buy in the open market using medical underwriting, where you're answering medical questions, uh, possibly doing an exam, blood test, and urine test. But this does not require that. There's a couple of gatekeeper medical questions. If you've been declined for disability insurance, typically in the last five years, then that's going to be off the table. But if you haven't been declined, this policy will even cover pre-existing conditions. So a a well-known company that happens to have a lot of GSI plans out there is a company called Emeritas. And what they do is they have something called a 312 pre-X. So the three means if you've seen a physician taking a prescription medication, should have seen a physician based on symptoms that you were having, and it was within three months of applying for the insurance, and you become disabled from one of these conditions within 12 months. So the three months is, did you take a medication or see a physician before? The 12 months is, did you become disabled within 12 months of that condition? that claim would not be paid under the pre-existing condition limitation. Once you own the policy for a year, even pre-existing conditions would be covered. So God forbid someone bought their policy, they got a GSI plan, they were a juvenile diabetic. Uh, A year and two months later, they have a diabetic complication and they could no longer stand in the operating room and they could no longer perform their duties as a surgeon. That claim would be paid, although under normal situations, they would not be able to purchase a traditional policy. And if they were, claims related to, let's say, diabetes or complications of diabetes would actually be excluded or not covered. So a GSI plan can be a godsend for someone that has medical issues. And then how about mental health? Is, is that exclude you from getting coverage? Uh, typically, it won't exclude you. you know, but if you've got something like ADD, ADHD, Um, anxiety, depression, stress, Uh, you're taking a medication, it's been the same dose for at least a year, then really what they'll do is they'll just exclude claims related to mental or nervous conditions, which includes anything in the DSM-4, I think we're on the version five now, or its subsequent replacement. But even that, where mental and nervous conditions are excluded, the really bad stuff, you know, dementia as a result of a stroke, trauma, head injury, viral infection, MS, Parkinson's, 
I've got a condition that prevents me from doing my job as a surgeon. And secondary to that, I'm depressed. Well, because the physical disability is what's preventing you from doing your job, that limitation would not be imposed. Certain companies, I will tell you, are better in underwriting mental and nervous conditions than other companies. So again, this is where the one thing that really cannot be replicated in the industry is experience, right? Like they say, to be a seasoned surgeon, you've got to be practicing for five years. I would say that it's probably not that far off in terms of insurance or financial planning. So I hear a lot of my friends say, you know, especially in like the academic world, um, you know, my employer uh, has a, a built-in disability policy. How does this factor in? What is a kind of a standard coverage from a from say an academic university hospital, and, and then how do you factor this into buying insurance? Sure. So a lot of the times, you know, this is provided exactly as you said. It's part of the benefits package. They'll usually tell you we're going to cover sixty percent of your salary up to a certain maximum benefit. Most common is $10,000 a month or $15,000 a month. So if we use 60%, we know that will cover a $200,000 income. If we use $15,000 a month, that's going to cover, what, a $300,000 income. But don't forget, these policies are typically not own occupation. So if you can't perform your duties as, say, a vascular surgeon, and you work and you earn income doing anything else, your benefit is going to potentially be reduced or even eliminated. Uh, they have offsets for certain things like social security disability or workers' compensation if you get hurt on the job. A lot of times these plans are not going to cover bonus income, incentives, shift differentials. If you're in an academic institution, you might actually have different components of your salary. You might have a, a base salary for benefits and then you might have a faculty practice supplement that's not covered at all. So the first thing that we look at is, well, what is your income? Then what coverage are you provided with? And typically, if you're provided with coverage, and I'll just say it is no cost to the individual, in the event of a disability, that benefit would be taxable. So ideally, you want to get your own plan to fill in the taxes that you would lose on your group plan. You want to cover any excess income that you earn above the cap, that ten dollars or $15,000 maximum benefit on the group plan. And you want it to be portable because these days, most physicians, especially young ones that start their job, they're usually gone within the first two years. And if they've developed a medical condition along the way, and they didn't secure an individual policy, ideally one that they can increase, now they, write, they might be out of luck and potentially even uninsurable. Today's podcast is brought to you by Indeed. Hiring. If that word doesn't get you excited to find your next favorite team member, you need the hiring partner that makes finding quality candidates easy. You need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform when you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Find great talent faster through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed Data US. 
One of the things I think is absolutely great about Indeed is that you only have to pay if an applicant meets your must-have requirements. So it's a really great deal. Indeed is an unbelievably powerful hiring partner delivering four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest 2019. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And Indeed's doing something no other job site has done. Now with Indeed, businesses only pay for quality applicants matching the sponsored job description. So visit Indeed.com BTK to start hiring now. Just Go to Indeed.com slash BTK. That's I-N-D-E-E-D dot com slash BTK. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And now back to the show. So I've heard that you know women actually have higher uh, rates than men. Um, so is that true? And uh, if so, what advice do you have uh, for our female listeners? Yeah, I mean, that's 100% true. I mean, the nice thing is, Females live a lot longer than us, so they have lower <laughs> rates for life insurance. But because they're female and because they interact with us, you know, they've got pregnancy and complications of pregnancy. They've got a higher rate of autoimmune disorders, and they actually have a higher rate of exactly mental nervous and or substance abuse disorders. So they live longer, but they don't live as healthy. As a result of that, their rates are typically 50 to 60% higher compared to their male counterparts. Now, there is a workaround for this, and it's getting more difficult to find, but the workaround is called a gender neutral or a unisex rate. And this is really a hybrid rate between the males and the females. And typically, the way you find this is either through a guaranteed standard issue plan, like I described earlier. Certain states, like Ohio, if you happen to buy an emeritus policy with a discount in the state of Ohio, that becomes unisex. If you happen to reside in Montana or the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, again, you can get unisex rates. In Montana, all the companies use unisex rates. In the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, due to a bill that was not introduced all that long ago, there's six companies that are known for own occupation coverage. Three of them offer unisex rates currently, and three of them do not. So general rule, if you're a female, I'd be focusing in on the companies that offer unisex rates. And if you're a male, you really want to focus in on the companies that don't offer unisex rates. Uh, speaking of, of females and pregnancy, how, how does that factor in? Should they get this you know, before they plan to become pregnant, or should they wait till they're done having kids? Does it make a difference at their rates? It will not change the premium rates, but it can make a tremendous difference. So let's say, you know, a person is completely fine. They can buy their policy. There's not going to be any kind of restrictions. Uh, insurance companies do not cover normal pregnancy. So like a maternity leave that we don't do, but we do cover complications of pregnancy. So bed rest, preeclampsia, things along those lines. Well, if you buy your policy after you've had complicated pregnancies, the insurance company is going to exclude claims related to pregnancy or complications. If you're thinking about infertility and you go to see an infertility specialist or you're doing IVF, that is also going to result in an exclusion rider. And finally, if you were pregnant and you had something like gestational diabetes, that's also going to result in an exclusion rider. The exception, you know, would be a guaranteed standard issue plan. But short of that, 
you're always better off locking into a policy before you have any medical conditions, because once you do, the insurance company has the ability to take what's known as adverse action based on what they see. Got it. All right, Larry, I'm sure many of our other listeners, as soon as they put, you know, resident physician or surgeon on their LinkedIn profile, get a lot of emails and messages from uh, agents trying to sell them different things. So focusing on own occupation disability insurance, what do we want to look for in a policy? What do we want to look for in an agent? Are all agents the same? And and are there any red flags uh, that we can alert our listeners to? Sure. So at this point, there's really six companies that have own occupation coverage for physicians. Uh, Berkshire Life, which is a guardian company, Standard Insurance Company, Mass Mutual, Emeritus, Principal, Ohio National, and then recently New York Life has entered the market. And the availability of the own occupation or even the availability of these companies might vary based on medical specialty or even state of residence. So you really want to limit your choice to those companies that I mentioned. You also want to see that the agent that you're speaking with has a really good idea of not only what it is they're recommending, but why they're recommending it and how it compares to other offerings. Now, if someone says to me something like, you know, Kevin, look, today I'm the doctor. I'm just showing you what's the best. If you want something other than the best, like I'll be happy to get it for you, but it's, it's on you and it's not on me. That would be an immediate red flag to me. If someone says, I'm a financial advisor, and you say, well, what credentials do you have? And they say, well, I have a, a life insurance license. and I have a health insurance license. I would probably come back and say, well, you might be a financial advisor, but you know, to me, it sounds more like you're an insurance agent. So you really want to understand who you're dealing with, how long they've been in the industry, what their typical client profile is, and what experience they have in dealing with not only your profession, but your medical specialty. I have one to add on to that. Is it important to keep your financial advisor and your insurance agent separate? I, I once had a, just in a meeting, interviewing a financial advisor and his plan for me was all this kind of insurance stuff, which I didn't even go to him for. I went to talk to him about, you know, more about investing and he, and he, it was sort of whole life, hybrid whole life things. He was trying to get me on. So back to my question, should your finance, if you do want to have a financial planner, should that be separate from your insurance agent? You know, I, I would say if you're getting good advice at a fair price and you understand where the conflicts are, I don't really have an issue with that. But ideally, you'd like to keep your product people that sell products as product people and planners as planners. So there's, there's three different ways that you find financial advisors being compensated. And, and there really is no one that's better than another. But the first one is a fee-only financial advisor, right? They're charging a fee to help you potentially meet your needs and your goals. And you're paying for advice. And if you want to take the advice, that's great. If you don't want to take the advice, that's okay too. Then you've got what's called fee-based. So this is someone that charges a fee but they also sell products. So here you just have to know that there is an inherent conflict of interest because they're being paid based on the recommendation. And then also if you implement the recommendation. 
And then the third one is the one that gets the worst reputation is the commission only person. And they say, this person, there's no way they have my best interest in mind. They're not going to make any money if they don't sell me anything. And where that can be true, if the area that you're looking for advice in happens to be the area in which that person deals, you know, whether it's life insurance, disability insurance, long-term care insurance, as long as you understand that they're being compensated for what they're doing and you're doing your homework to make sure that you're getting what it is you expect to be getting, I don't have a problem with it. Like if you said, hey, I need disability insurance, I'm going to go hire a financial advisor that's fee only, but that fee only advisor specializes in retirement planning. The odds are very good that they're going to give you advice that's not very relevant that you're paying good money for. Where if you went to someone that specialized in dealing with young physicians and disability insurance and term life insurance, and they didn't charge you anything, and they gave you advice related to that, I would say that that provided better value to you. So like everything else, you really just want to get full disclosure, do some homework up front. A little bit of homework up front will save tremendous heartache on the back end. I've seen that way too many times. Now, Larry, what about our listeners who are military, either you know both active duty as well as reservists? Is it still possible for them to get uh, policies? Yes. Yeah, so reverse, reserves, is we don't really have an issue with. Where you do have an issue happens to be active duty military. And the, the only traditional carrier that will offer active duty military physicians coverage is mass mutual. Now, one nice thing about MassMutual is a couple of years ago, they instituted a 25% discount for military personnel. And if you buy it when you're active duty, you keep the discount not only for what you started with, but everything you add in the future. And like the traditional policies that you would buy if you were a civilian, we'd like it to be own occupation. We'd like to have an increase option on there to allow you to buy additional coverage in the future without having to answer medical questions. Now, one thing that I see a lot of is maybe I watch too much JAG is when you're getting ready to separate from service, I picture all of you guys in a room and they say, well, doctors, thank you very much for your service. Just to let you know, you know, if you had a medical condition that was exacerbated as a result of your military service or was developed as a result of your military service, you know, be sure to fill out these forms to try to get a VA military rating or disability rating. And no one really thinks about this. And they're not thinking about buying individual disability insurance because they don't think that they could get it because they're active duty. So they go ahead and they check off all of these boxes. They wound up getting some type of disability rating for different conditions. Well, I can tell you, if you buy individual disability insurance after this, anything that you're getting any money for as a result of a VA disability rating becomes an immediate exclusion on your individual disability insurance policy. And typically, if you get more than four exclusion riders, they're not even going to issue coverage to you. The second part of it is any dollars that you get as a result of a VA disability, that's going to come off of what you're eligible for. So if we figured, let's just say, you know, first year out, You've got a guaranteed salary of $300,000. you have got no group insurance. You're eligible for $13,000 a month, but you're getting $2,000 a month from the VA. 
the individual insurance companies are going to say, well, you're eligible for 13. You're already getting two. We're going to offer you the difference of 11. So I would say just be cautious when you're doing your exit physical or you're doing your DD-214. You want to make sure that what you're filing for really is causing an issue, because if it's something minor, it might not be worth pursuing. Okay. Yeah. So Larry, one issue I I ran into recently is I had a a rate uh, in residency or sorry, in fellowship, um, you know, a certain amount of insurance and I became an attending um, and, you know, my salary increased. What what are you supposed to do then about your insurance coverage? How high, what is the limit? Can I, can I get $20,000, you know, a month coverage right now, even though I'm an army doc? Uh, How how does that work? and, And when should we increase it? Yeah, so we will give you the ability to potentially reach, let's say, Mass Mutual's maximum, which is $20,000 a month. What we'll do is we'll look at how your pay is, is comprised. So we'll look at your base pay. We'll look at your save pay. We'll look at any COLA that you might get. We'll look at your moonlighting. And what we're going to do is we're going to go to our income replacement chart based on your income. We're going to subtract out the benefits that you would get if you were disabled associated with your base pay. And that's going to give us the amount of additional coverage that's available to you individually. Now, unlike health insurance, where you've got, oh, this is my primary company. This is my secondary company. You know, who pays first? That doesn't exist in the disability insurance world. We're already taking into consideration those benefits that you have in the military the same way we're taking them into consideration for civilian physicians that have group insurance to determine what you're eligible for. And in the event of a claim, if you meet the definition of disability under both policies, everything is going to pay. Now, in the event your income goes down, let's say you had a couple of great years and now the market has changed and reimbursement levels have gone down, you can keep the benefit that you had as long as at the time you applied for your increase, you were approved for it. It does not matter if your salary goes down. It doesn't matter if you leave the military and you go into a private practice that's got a large group insurance plan. There's no reevaluation as to what you can buy. We're not going to reduce things. However, if you qualify for more and you want to go up and you qualify, you can do that. So it's always best to check in with your agent if something substantial has changed, you know, you've left the military, you've started a job, you're leaving a W-2 position to go do locums. These are all things where you really need to bring your agent in to make sure that you're properly insured. All right. So let's go to, um, you know, something we'd never like to think about, but let's say we actually need to use our insurance and, uh, something, you know, something's happened and we need to make a claim. Uh, how, what advice do you have for preparing to make a claim? I would say it really is all in the preparation. And, you know, surgeons of all people, you know, you guys are our heroes, but surgeons are also, you know, really reluctant to admit that they have an issue. So they typically know something is going on, but do they see a physician? Well, they do, but it's usually a curbside consult and it's nothing on the record. So now the Curbside consult physician says, you know, you really shouldn't be doing that. Uh, Now our surgeon starts to do less surgery or they start doing less complex procedures or procedures that don't take as long. And things get progressively worse. 
Now they file a claim with the insurance company and the insurance company requests medical records from their physician. And they see that there really is nothing that's documenting what it is that they're being told. And they look at their billing codes and they say, well, look, you know, we're looking at what you've done. You really haven't done surgery in 12 months. So you're telling us you're a surgeon, but we're not really seeing that. So I would say filing a claim is not difficult. Filing a claim is laying out the beginning, the middle, and the end of the story as early as you can. So the claims examiner can easily see well, what happened? How has this person been compromised in terms of their ability to do their job? Like, can they not work as a surgeon at all? Or can they work as a surgeon on a limited type of basis? And then if things continue to get worse, maybe they now go from residually or partially disabled to totally disabled. But I would say the best thing that you can do is, God forbid something goes wrong, don't be a hero. See someone right away get things in your medical records. So it's not a guessing game for the insurance companies to figure out what happened. You really want to lay it out so it's very well documented. And there's really not a lot of room for error in terms of claim determination. Okay. So we have uh, you know, some med students and a lot of residents listening that have pretty tight budgets. Uh, the rent costs are crazy right now. Gas is expensive, and they're 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 listening to this and they're thinking, you know, I, I you know insurance is a luxury. Um, so, would you recommend? Because we know getting insurance early is always good. It's going to be your best rates. Would you recommend they secure their disability or their term life insurance first if their budget only allows for one? If the budget only allows for one. I would say you really got to go disability insurance just because the odds of becoming disabled at a young age are so much higher than they are of dying. Now, that being said, you could potentially do both on a very low budget. So for disability insurance, there's a strategy that I use that's called the lease with the option to buy plan. And you could literally buy a policy for $1,000 a month in benefit for a male surgeon you know, this might be $30 a month. For a female surgeon, it might be $50 a month. And not only do they get $1,000 a month of tax-free income on top of whatever their residency is going to provide, the real value is that they'd have the ability to increase this coverage regardless of their health in the future. So short of actually becoming disabled, they're guaranteed to be able to increase their coverage without ever answering another medical question or doing an exam, blood test, or urine test again. And literally, they can buy this early in their career. You know, they'll check in periodically with the insurance company. Odds are very good if they're still in their training, their income has not changed a lot. And then as they're finishing their training, they can increase this tremendously based on their new guaranteed salary as an attending taking into consideration the employer-provided group insurance benefits that they might receive. Then they can go out and they can buy a a term life insurance policy, so death benefit only. Let's say that they would probably do a million-dollar policy for 20 years or 30 years. You know, you're really only talking about a couple of hundred dollars a year, which in the grand scheme of things can be a lot for a resident or a fellow. But if you've got family, you know, you've got a spouse that doesn't work, You've got a young child and 
really it all comes down to you, I would say something is better than nothing. Doesn't have to be a million. It could be 500,000. It could be 250,000. It doesn't have to be 20 or 30 years. It could be 10 years. And that should be very affordable, you know, on a resident or a fellow's income. And, and I would put the disability insurance ahead of anything else, whether it's a Roth IRA or a 403B plan, because at the end of the day, we're smart, you know, but we're really just highly functioning, intelligent, money-making machines. And if something goes wrong and we could no longer go in to do what we do, the financial plan really comes to a screeching halt. So most games, what do they say? Uh, Offense sells tickets and defense wins championships. I would say you really have to go defense first, which is the insurance, and then start going on the offensive. Excellent. Well, you know, this has been uh, just fantastic. You know, as as surgeons, I think we tend to be, you know, we tend to be risk risk takers and we also tend to think that we're invincible, which is a a terrible combination. So um, I think this is a a talk that a lot of us needed to hear. So I wanted to thank you for being so generous with your your time tonight and for this uh, excellent information. So if anybody wants to learn more, if you have questions for Larry, you can reach Larry at 516-677-6211. That's 516-677-6211 or by email at lkeller, that's L-K-E-L-L-E-R at physicianfinancialservices.com. Once again, thank you, Larry. Uh, thank you guys for having me. This, this was great. This material is intended for general use. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities LLC and your financial representative are not undertaking to provide investment advice or make a recommendation for a specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Optional writers are available for an additional premium. Some policy benefits and features are not available to all occupations. Lawrence B. Keller is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities LLC, 355 Lexington Avenue, 9th floor, New York, New York, 10017-6603, 8800. Security products and advisory services are offered through PAS, phone number 1516-677-6200. Financial representative, the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Physician Financial Services is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. AR insurance license number 1057229. California insurance license 0C37340. PAS is a member of FINRA, SIPC, 2022-138890 expires 05-2024. Be sure to check out our website at www.behindthenife.org for more great content. You can also follow us on Twitter at Behind the Knife and Instagram at Behind the Knife Podcast. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to leave us a review. Content produced by Behind the Knife is intended for health professionals and is for educational purposes only. We do not diagnose, treat, or offer patient-specific advice. Thank you for listening. Until next time, dominate the day. Dominate the day.